millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Welcome to the Market Watch podcast by Amplify Live, where you can access the latest market insights with me, Anthony Chung, the head of market analysis, and joined by our head of trading, Piers Curran, getting you up to speed on what mattered in markets this week. Okay, welcome to episode 22 of the Market Watch. It's Friday, the 18th of June. And as ever, I'm joined by Head of Trading, Piers Curran. How's it going, Piers? Pretty good, Ant. What about you? Yeah, good. I'm a little bit. I mean, it literally is pitch black outside uh, as I'm recording this with you. I mean, we've had such glorious sunshine, but I thought absolutely on cue, optimal football conditions for an England-Scotland <laughs> game, right? <laughs> That's a very good point. It's a very <laughs> appropriate set of weather conditions for the oldest uh, international uh, football rivalry in the world. Did you know that? 1870 something, I think, was the first England Scotland match. Do you know the stats? I mean, what, how do we, what's like the wind count on either side? Uh, oh, I, I actually don't know, but uh, uh, precisely. I, I mean, I know England are on top but you know we have got a few more people than scotland so you could say it's not quite a yeah when, when was the last time the last matchup. time they actually played at the euros was that the gascoigne goal in 96 absolutely right 1996 uh wembley stadium again exactly wow. where they're playing today uh yeah one of gascoigne's most famous ever goals absolutely 
good knowledge. I remember that. That was when they had the bottle, wasn't it? It was the celebration. That's right. Him the there. dentist chair. <laughs> that, that I remember that tournament very well because I just um, I just finished my A levels, and so we we wow. were like in in like full on party mood and you know we were able to watch all that you know I, I i'd managed to get tickets to the games i went to anfield to watch france holland i went to old trafford to watch a match and it was one of those things where i was i was um i was holding i had a final ticket for wembley for the final um and i was watching the semi-finals and england were playing germany in one of the semis and I was holding a ticket for the final. I had it obviously hoping that England would win and I'd be able to watch England play in the final at Wembley. And obviously we lost on penalties in the semis um, against the Germans, which, which is a quite a frequent occurrence. Um, yeah. One of that was one of the most gutting moments of my life. I'll be prepared to admit <laughs> holding a ticket for the final and denied uh but what what you the the positive out of failure which is what we're all about is that the person who missed that goal or that penalty opportunity was he you know didn't that reshape then the performance at the recent penalty shootouts that england have had yeah well do you know you're you're speaking almost as if you know who it was who missed the penalty do you know well, I, I hope it's. Um, I hope I'm right. <laughs> you are right. It's, it's uh, a Mr. Certain Mr. Gareth Southgate, who is the manager of the England team today. So, exactly. yeah, I absolutely agree. His his kind of his, his sort of uh, approach from the mindset point of view definitely comes with experience. And yeah, I, I don't think you know. And Stuart Pearce missed a penalty in 1990. Yeah. Um, Italia 90 and um, you know I think that's it for a footballer you know missing a penalty in a major tournament playing for your country to lose the, the match that's got to be pretty much the low the low of the low right so yeah um, but there's no penalties today so it's just the group game so um, okay. at least well, we'll look, avoid that come on as um, head of trading let's have it what's the score uh, I think it's going to be you know, I think it'll be a, uh, I think England will win 3-1. That's okay. my prediction. I think they've got too go, much. I'm going to go 2-0. 2. Oh, come on. Scotland are not going to win. <laughs> <That's>, no. <laughs> I know I'm not going to put allegiance on either side, but statistically speaking. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Indeed. Okay. Anyhow, before we, before this becomes the regular Euros <laughs> uh, football chat, um, just want to give a quick shout out to uh, Neil Doolan because Neil left a comment. Uh, we did say to, to leave a, a comment in uh, last week in the, the previous episode. And this is what he said, Piers. Okay, I haven't yeah. seen this yet, so <laughs> go on. He's, so Neil said, I listen to Anthony more than my wife and usually <laughs> in bed <laughs> with a winky emoji. <laughs> uh, uh, and so, yeah, he had a few other comments, but yeah, I thought that was uh, wow. it's, not, it's not the first time, you know, being being a squawker in my career, I have had what? traders say that to me before that they they hear what? my voice more than anyone else in their entire life. Oh, I thought you were uh, going to say that they listen to you in bed. 
well, you know, I'm here as a service provider and, uh, <laughs> you know, I just keep my clients pleased, but that's a discussion for another day. But uh, look, let's push on. There's definitely um, one major event, of course, to speak of for, for the week. And that, of course, was the FOMC. Um, all been building up to this that kind of moment and they came out and it was a surprise i mean i was there covering it live if you want to see a showcase of someone getting uh moderately excited then you can go back on youtube skip it forward a few minutes and you'll see me um getting a little bit excited but rightly so in the intraday in the day trading environment and piers and i uh, you know we're going to discuss this now and i really want to get your take piers because i think it's really important for people to understand you know, the day trading short-term volatility um, that can, can come on this type of event comparative to then what does it mean for the medium to long-term horizon if you're managing, say, a portfolio of assets? Because I know that there's different types of people that listen to this podcast. Some are trading short-term, some are investing. And I think there's a different outcome and perspective to apply here. So there's kind of three areas. One is about interest rates. One is about tapering. And one is about, uh, I'm going to say it, inflation. Ooh, there <laughs> uh, it is. You said it before I did. So, Well, I, I was thinking that, and I'm aware of the commitment we made last time out, but I was kind of thinking ahead of time, making a few notes for this podcast, and there was going to be at least 50 times that you and I, cumulatively, I think we're going to say the word. So, yeah, it's out. We're going to say it, I'm afraid. So we'll take the hit this time round. But. Yeah, we're going to talk about inflation again. Um, but hopefully we can talk about it in a few different ways. It will be interesting. So first off, the Fed said in something called the dot plot, which might require a bit of um, explaining, Piers, but that they anticipate two interest rate increases by the end of 2023. And certainly for me covering this, that was the big headline. If you're, tr if you're a trader at the moment of release, that saw an immediate spike in the dollar yields, equities came off. So it was quite a dramatic um, move that was seen on the back of that. But why don't you explain uh, a little bit about why that was important and, and your view yeah. on that, that timeline? So, well, I, I think actually, yeah, we need to talk about the dot plot first. I mean, I think it's worth taking a step back and because, you know, I was reading, you know, when you're, when you're kind of, you're preparing for these major events. You know, you're obviously doing your reading. Your, I mean, obviously we've been trading previous Fed events. We've been obviously monitoring comments out of the Fed every week. So we cut. You know, as a trader, you kind of you kind of know where things are at, right? But you want to be reading and just making sure and checking. And everything you're reading, you know, there's reference to the dot plot, left, right, and center, and it's all about dot 2023 dots. And I was thinking, actually, if I was if I was like a student reading this. I'm not sure I'd actually be able to really understand what the hell they're talking about. What the hell's 2023 dots? And it never explains in these articles actually what is the dot plot. And I think unless you actually know where it comes from and how it's created, only then do you understand the information that it carries and only then do you understand why it's important. So I think let's talk about the dot plot first. What is it? Do you want to, uh, do you want to explain? Yeah, so, that, so, the, so the dot plot is, uh, it forms one major part of what's called the summary of economic projections. Uh, it's shorthand, it gets referred to, you might read in the news, the SEP. And 
the Federal Reserve, the US Central Bank have eight meetings per year of which every alternate meeting, super easy to remember because it's just calendar quarters. So March, June, September, and December, they release these projections. Now these projections are basically when the US Central Bank provides us with additional detail to the regular statement of how they perceive the economy and so therefore the appropriate policy that they're going to deploy at that period of time. Now, within these projections, there are a few different things. So in summary, you get an outlook for, say, growth, um, you get an outlook for unemployment, for inflation, but also you get an outlook for where each individual central banker on the committee at the Fed, the US central bank, think where rates will be at the end of the year in question, so 2021, and then the subsequent years thereafter, end of 2022 and the end of 2023 and what we call the long run, which is the, the, the further outlook out in time. And so this was one of those meetings. And if you think then what the world looked like back in March to what the world looks like currently, in fact, we've moved along quite a great deal. And underpinning that movement generally has been the continued deployment of vaccinations at a fairly um, consistent rate, albeit it's moderated a little bit in America. And that subsequently allows the economies to reopen. And then we track all these other variables in the economy to, for the Fed to then make a, a decision. So that's what the, the dot plots are. The actual dots yeah. and what that's referring to is very specific to interest rates within those projections. And what it is, is that every dot is a member of the Federal Reserve. So in this case, they have the what they call that. Again, I, I'm going to confuse people here, <laughs> but it's called the FOMC. So if you think of the Fed, it's like any other company, right? So companies and the central banks, they have thousands of employees. And in fact, in a central banking sense, the majority of these employees work in really quite dull roles, you know, things like regulation, supervision. And that's, you know, the central bank is a linchpin for an economy for instilling these types of things. In reality, policy setters are just a fractional group of people, but nearly all of the power is in their hands as far as what's important for markets. So in this case, um, what happens, they have these meetings and there is some nuances around rotation on who gets to vote at these meetings because there's quite a few of them. Uh, but essentially, they get asked, where do you see interest rates at the end of the year? And then you basically just cast a vote. And then yeah. basically, that comprises then as individual um, anonymous dots. So we can't obviously visually show you on a podcast. But basically, say if Piers said... Um, Pierce feels quite bullish about things. The economy is going to reopen. He might say, well, interest rates are going to be higher. So they're going to be at 0.5%. And rates in the US are currently at quarter percent. So that would indicate there's going to be one rate hike. Whereas I might be, no, I don't think there's going to be any. So my dot sits under his dot in that sense. And then when you look at all of these dots, it gives you a visual pattern. Then you can see who's more bullish or bearish. In market speak, we say hawkish or dovish. Um, and then we're able to draw what we call a median dot. And basically, very crudely, we connect then the median dot for 2021 to the median dot of 2022 to 23. And that gives us 
kind of like a, a shape, if you like, kind of like a curve and alterations in that curve is what people trade. Again, very, um, very played good. down, but that's basically what it is. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the Fed, you know, and it's the Fed's, um, it is a, an important tool. I mean, it often gets overlooked when people think about central banks, but in terms of what, what's their policy tools. So, you know, the obvious thing would be, oh, well, interest rates or controlling the money supply. But the other key tool, and you could strongly argue it's actually the most important tool of all of them, is communication and what the Fed would call forward guidance. And really, this dot plot is that. It's their way of giving us forward guidance. You know, today, you know, June 2021, you know, what do the Fed look like? What do they think interest, the interest rate trajectory is going to look like out over the next few years, you know, in their opinion? And don't forget, they're the people who are setting interest rates. So, you know, they've, their opinion is the most important opinion in the world with regards to, you know, where interest rates might go. And it's about giving us that glimpse into the future so that, you know, if you're running a business and you've got debt, or if you're running a business and you're looking to borrow money to grow, you know, obviously interest rates and the cost of that borrowing is a very important aspect of your strategy and your decision-making. And so the Fed are trying to, trying to say, look, right now today, this is what we think is going to happen in the future. Um, and as an you were saying that all these dots, I mean, there's actually 18 dots, right? So for there's 18 dots for the end of 2021. And so at the moment, all 18 members of the Fed are saying that interest rates are going to stay at zero, 0.25%. So interest rates aren't going to move in 2021. For 2020, so for the end of 2022, so that's 18 months time, right? So you're starting to get quite a long way out. And it's obviously becomes a lot harder to forecast the further into the future you go. But right now for 2022, 14 of the 18 members of the Fed think rates will remain unchanged. Okay, so 14 of the 18. You've got three members of the Fed who think interest rates will go up by basically 0.5% by the end of 2022. And then you've got one super hawk who think interest rates are going to go up um, by 1% by the end of 2022. Okay. Then we look at the end of 2023. And that was what the big focus was going into this meeting. And, and after that meeting, and when they announced, they, they announced changes to the dot plot in 2023, where some members of the Fed increased their forecast as to what interest rates might be in two and a half years' time. Um, the median dot therefore, actually went up by 0. Uh, what was it, 0. 0.5 or 0. Yeah, it 0.6? went up to 0. 0.6. Went up to 0. 0.6, right? Um, and so this is where now the Fed are like saying, well, interest rates may well be higher than we had previously communicated in March. We think they may well now be higher in two and a half years' time. Um, but when, when you look at the dot plot, though, it is still the case, the absolute majority of the Fed think interest rates will not change. 11 of the 18 are still saying, by the end of 2023, in two and a half years' time, we will not have changed interest rates from what they are today. But now you're getting some hawks, some members on that committee are saying, well, look, by then we're going to have really recovered and you know, inflation is going to be a thing and we're going to need to kind of hike rates and start that hiking cycle. And so you've got some, the most hawkish in the Fed think that rates will be up at sort of, well, above 1% by the end of 2023, okay? So this is what the dot plot's all about. 
Now, I, I guess there's two things to maybe now focus on in terms of how the market reacted. Um, number one is to say that, as I was saying before, traders were preparing, were reading, you know, what's going to change, you know, and what we're looking for is change in communication. Okay, we, if the Fed alter the way that they're um, forecasting what's going to happen in the future, then that's really important for us traders, because that may well alter the trajectory of things like inflation and interest rates and growth and will alter the trajectory of financial market prices, right? So when the Fed are changing their communication to us, then we're interested and, right, we may need to adjust our positioning in markets to reflect this new forecast, okay? Now, so we were all obsessed, right? What are they going to change? What are they going to change? And in reality, and we'll maybe talk about this in a minute, but in reality, they changed almost nothing. But we're so obsessed with the Fed and hanging on every word, all we're interested in and all we can see is what they change. So even though like 95% of what they said is basically the same, it's the 5% we obsess about. And in the short term, market reaction is overamplified because of our obsession about what's changed. So all that really changed was that in two and a half years time, interest rates might be 0.6%. And if you just step back and just think about that for a second, I mean, what? I mean, that means nothing, really. Um, and yet, markets went ahead and you had some, you know, a huge surge of dollar strength off the back of this information. And then you had associated moves across asset classes that we'll probably drill into in a minute. But I guess that's my main kind of point. And you mentioned you know, what time frame are you trading or investing over? And I think for short-term traders, this type of event was massive. It was a big event. And the Fed did change something, albeit small, but was so obsessed about it that it drove a lot of reaction. I think medium to long-term, you, you kind of sift through the, the carnage the day after, the week after, the month after, and you think, well, actually, you know what? All right, they changed that little thing about 2023. But to be honest... Did anything else change? Not really. So actually, we're kind of still on course. And, you know, I would expect markets to probably like take stocks, for example. You know, does, does Wednesday herald the high for the S&P for 2021 now that we're freaking out about rates going up? And my answer to that is no. Well, the yes, Nasdaq 100 so. finished their record high yesterday. Well, all right, there you go. So it took 24 hours to kind yeah. of get it out of the system. Um, so yeah, yeah. One of the points take. there um, is that the Fed and Jerome Powell, who's the head of, he's like the chairman of the Fed, is obviously aware of how sensitive short-term markets are to what words he says, and actually to accompany the dots he did say explicitly thereafter in a press conference that discuss, discussing liftoff now would be highly premature, and he also himself made the admission that the dots, they're not a great forecast of future rate moves, by the way. Can I just say that? <laughs> that's <laughs> that's one interesting my, though, isn't it? That's one of my favorite ever comments from a Fed chairman. <laughs> that will go down as one of my favorites, where he's basically rubbishing one of their key sort of communication tools. I agree with him, by the way. I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm just, I, I find it quite funny that... You know, he did rubbish it. And actually, we should talk about this because this, this, this dot plot 
you know, ask you to predict what will rates be at the end of this year, the end of next year, and the end of the year after, and then in the long term, right? What will be the peak of the next rate hiking cycle, essentially? As I was saying a minute ago, trying to forecast out three years plus, it's, I mean, it's, it's pot luck in a way. And so from a visual representation to give people listening an idea, the further you go out in time, the wider the spread of the dots, because right. obviously people's opinion starts to then diverge over how they see the future, the further out you go. So given Powell's comment there, I, I, I thought I'd look back because I when he said that, I thought, actually, yeah, he is right. I mean, I, the, the Fed, the dot plot's not a very good forecasting tool for what interest rates are going to be, um, even though that's what it is. And it's seemingly really important for markets. Um, so I was looking back and actually I was looking back at the dot plot in, from 2015, for example, and all I was doing was checking back. Was it a good forecaster for two years out? And so in 2015, um, when, by the way, rates were at zero, where they are now, um, in 2015, the 2017 uh, median dot uh, was just above 3%. Okay. Wow. Now, in, in actual terms, in 2017, do you know what the interest rate was in 2017 on average? The average interest rate for 2017. Mm. Well, we started hiking in the end of 2015, did 1, 2, 16. So rates would have been like at 1%. Exactly right. 1% on average. So the dot plot in 2015 had predicted that interest rates would be 3% in 2017. Yeah. In actual fact, they were only 1%. Um, I was then looking at the, I skipped forward two years to the 2017 uh, so in 2017, they were predicting that the, well, what do you think? What do you reckon they were predicting for 2020? So in 2017, what do you reckon the median dot was for 2020? Well, I'd, I'd like to say they learned their lesson by getting it so <laughs> wrong in 2015. Um, it's going to be like another three and a half percent. It was basically 3.25%. Right. <laughs> what were what, and obviously we know what was the interest rate in 2020 zero now that i mean it's a little bit unfair to kind of criticize the fed for not being able pre to predict the covid pandemic which of course you couldn't but it absolutely makes the valid point that you know this dot plot when you're trying to ask them what what are interest rates going to be in three years they don't know they got no idea because anything can happen right but the purpose of that dot plot isn't for that it's not an accurate forecasting tool for the years to come it's a communication tool for now the present it's to reassure us now about the future cost of borrowing now whether that future cost of borrowing turns out to be as we're predicting or not is actually is, is irrelevant it's about setting our our, our expectations today which then shapes our behavior when it comes to borrowing you know, over the longer term. And if we're, if we're confident that the Fed are right and rates aren't going to go up for the next few years, great. I'm going to take advantage of these low interest rates and running a business. I'm going to start borrowing money to invest in growth in the confidence and the knowledge that you know, the cost of that borrowing isn't going to rise. That's what it's all about. One thing I would say here is that you're making it sound like the, the Fed are like uber hawks, but I'd just like to 
get you to follow up with the fact that if anything, the Fed have through the financial crisis period and the pandemic are nearly always considerably lower than where market pricing is. So market That's pricing, how does, that, how does that work, Piers? I mean, when you traded the yield curve and so on in the past, I mean, that yeah. kind of relationship between the dynamic of the central banker trying to control basically of how assets are kind of performing and as it's integral to the, how the economy is going to perform. But markets nearly always are disbelieving yeah. and are always almost more optimistic yeah. that the that's, forecast that's would suggest. That's definitely true. I mean, uh, yeah. So right now, do, do I think that the dot plot is actually correct? Do, do I think rates will, will be, you know, above, well, edging up to 1% by the end of 2023? No, I don't. And I think that, and markets think that the Fed's plot, dot plot's wrong. And as you say, markets tend to be a bit more optimistic, which means we hope that rates will stay lower for longer, because typically that's what tends to happen. And it's a political thing. You know, the, the, the central bank will typically have rates too low through the entire cycle, um, because people don't like interest rates being high. Of course, that's your, your kind of, your, your voters don't like it, right? So typically, um, the Fed or central banks undershoot and, and they tend to be um, running with rates that are too low. So that's why when the Fed come out with their dots, we go, okay, well, let's just factor that in and, and revise those down. And markets will think more dovishly. They'll think more optimistically, if you like. And so when, you know, when the Fed do come out and change their dots, it is a, you know, it is a big thing for short-term markets because we've just got to alter the way we're, we're pricing things. That's all. Yeah. And just to understand the, the reaction effect to the announcement in itself in the day trading environment, what was really important, I think, for this meeting, and obviously it's my job to kind of prep everyone up for the live release, is that going into this, people were more obsessed about tapering and the discussion of tapering in terms of the timeline and how advanced does that discussion become. So to be clear, one of the main reasons why I got excited is because no one was talking about two rate hikes. And I know it yeah. sounds we've kind of played it down, but the point being is everyone's looking, it's kind of like everyone's looking in one direction, and all of a sudden you get whacked over the head, completely blindsided by something that no one was looking for because every bank I was looking at were either looking for no change in yeah. 2023 to remain as it is, or one. No one mentioned two. And yeah. so this, again, if you are um, trying to understand or determine market reaction, just think of the deviation from the consensus. And that certainly was a, a blind side. But on the tapering aspect, what he said, Piers, uh, which we, I think we've, we've spoken about this before because we've had episodes where we've talked about this, but he literally said, we are talking about talking about tapering. His words, not mine. Uh, if you if you had nothing to do with markets, <laughs> right, you'd never come across trading, and you've wandered into the Fed press conference, <laughs> and there's hang on, there's some old dude at the front <laughs> yeah. talking about talking about talking. You'd be you'd be like, what? Every trader's tapping himself. So, did you hear that? Did you hear what he said? <laughs> <laughs> it's this weird world we've built for ourselves. I mean, it really is. Well. Um, we're a collective of weird individuals, so we've got to have something. 
But do we want to talk about how markets reacted then in the short term? Yeah, um, yeah, we can do. I mean, I know we, you, you kind of spoke about it a little bit, but the one area in particular that would be good to focus on is, is commodities. There's yeah. been a really distinct move in commodities, uh, generally lower. So gold is heading for its biggest weekly loss in 15 months. Copper is headed for its worst week since the start of the pandemic. So if we go back to what episode 10 or something like that that you and I have done, it was all about like rocketing commodity prices, which is obviously you know added to this bottleneck inflationary pressure that we've seen. But now all of these commodities are getting absolutely hammered. Um, and we had a really good question from one of our so at the moment, as you all know, we've got our summer analyst program at the moment. And this week, after having a kind of a week on the sell side, they've been on the buy side. And part of that is they've been interacting and trading the live market. And I thought a really valid question. One of the guys said, well, I thought gold was a safe haven. I thought gold was an inflation hedge and gold's up 5% or the core readings at its highest since the early 90s. Why on earth has gold had its worst week in 15 months, if that is the case? And so I think it's probably good if you could kind of recap there the explanation that you gave to them. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, well, well, generally before gold specifically, generally commodities, you know, I have come off sharply in the second half of this week. Um, and that's mostly to do with the quite pronounced strength that we've seen in the dollar. And it's also to do with the fact, you know, when I'm trading and when I'm like heading into a big event where there may be important developments that might lead to, you know, some some market volatility. I'm always looking at, right, well, how have markets behaved before this event? How, how have they behaved going into this event? And, you know, as you just mentioned, commodities have been trending aggressively higher this year. Okay, so relatively speaking, prices are incredibly high. All right, so when you're thinking about an event, you know, what's the, what's the biggest potential moves we might see here? you know, given different potential outcomes. And I'm always looking, right, for commodities, we were going into this event knowing, well, and, the, and currencies as well, knowing that these, these, these markets had been driving quite radically higher. So though my point is there's a much bigger, um, there's a much larger, there's much more potential for a large move to the downside of a negative event then there is potential for a large move to the upside of a positive event, just simply because of how prices behaved beforehand. So going into this, certainly the currency, you know, linking back euro, dollar, and cable, you know, the dollar's been super weak. These exchange rates are super high. Commodities have been benefiting from that, along with obviously unlocking and the vaccines and blah, 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 right? So positive economic um, outlooks, okay? So everything's super high. Then all of a sudden, Powell slips in, or well, the, the Fed statement slips in this kind of double rate hike by the end of 2023. And what happens? The dollar reacts and the dollar spikes. So the US dollar aggressively rallied, taking these exchange rates sharply lower, so euro, dollar, and cable, and the rest of them. So when so with commodities, they're um, they're very much influenced by large, sharp dollar movements. Okay, and and the general kind of correlation over the medium to kind of long term is that commodity prices are inversely correlated to the dollar's value. And we'll talk about this perhaps another time. But this is 
by this is related to the fact that the global commodity markets are priced in dollars. Okay, but for now, right, there's an inverse correlation. But what I'm, you know, if you take gold, okay, then it's not that what drives the gold value is purely what happens to the dollar. You know, there are many, many, many factors that are involved in determining the price of a commodity. Okay, supply side factors, demand side factors. Yes, the dollar, the dollar's value. But thinking about gold, I would really break the gold sort of dynamic down into three sections in terms of what are the major forces that drive gold prices. And I would say that it's um, an, an inflation hedge. Okay, so it tends to be correlated to inflation. It's inversely correlated to the dollar, like most commodities. And then it's also a safe haven. Right. So in times of uncertainty and in times of bad news, well, then, right, fine, gold tends to go up. Okay. But you've got three factors there. And it depends where we are in the cycle and it depends what's happening and what the news is as to which one of those three uh, driving forces is dominant. Okay. Now, this year, gold's been rallying quite aggressively. And it's been rallying because of two of those three factors have been really strong positives for gold price. Okay. Number one, the dollar's been really weak. And the dollar's been weak because the Fed have stayed nice and dovish. Okay. Until Wednesday, where they did this little hawkish surprise. But before then, dovish, so dollar weakness. Okay. And also, inflation has been jumping to like multi decade highs. So for gold, it's an inflation hedge. And it really enjoys dollar weakness. So both of those factors have been driving gold sharply higher. Okay, The whole safe haven thing, forget it. That's not a contributing factor right now to driving and influencing the price of gold. It's not. Which, which, which could be, you know, for someone who's not familiar with markets and you're reading about Biden's done this to China, the US have just um, had US regulators proposing a ban on products from Huawei again and other Chinese electronics. He's mouthing off again about in the uh, South China's East China Sea. It does feel like there's political risk. And, and obviously Biden met Putin this week, not saying I totally agree with what you're saying, but from an observer who's not looking at markets perhaps yeah. day to day, you can see how it could get confusing though. Yeah, they, I mean, there's always political risk, right? Always. And fine, there's episodes where that flares up and spikes and becomes the dominant theme. And there's periods where, all right, it's still there and stuff's happening, but it's kind of, there's more important stuff going on. And that's, that's what's happened this year, right? There's just more, now Trump's gone out of the way. That whole political risk factors definitely drops. And so as that's dropped, these other forces have come to the top risen to the surface and become the dominant force on price. So inflation and the dollar weakness. Okay. And that's why, you know, gold selling off sharply post Fed meeting is because really you had both of those two positives turning negative, at least in the short term. So number one, the dollar rallied, bad news for gold. And number and number two, if the Fed are going to be more hawkish, you could make the argument that inflation um, is long-term inflation expectations should now be reduced, right? If the Fed's going to be more hawkish. And so therefore, you know, if inflation forecasts drop, well, then that's bad for gold as well. So the other thing to mention here about commodities um, that I think has slightly been missed here, but something I covered in the briefing as well this week was that at the moment we're getting a big divergence between PPI and CPI in China. And because of the, as you mentioned, 
you know, rise the sharp rise in commodity prices in China, the producer price index has risen very sharply in China. And in an attempt earlier this week to control that, those, those kind of inflationary pressures, China stepped up its campaign via the Asset Supervision Administration Commission. Now, I must admit, I haven't heard of most of these that's, until that's this week, one. but there's another one for you. So the National Food and this is the important one because this is important universally. So the National Food, okay, that's one thing, but we know that's very important in China because of pork. Yeah, I don't know if you've been watching your pork prices, but yeah. after the African swine flu saw them rocket, they are absolutely getting hammered at, um, at the moment. But the Strategic Reserves Administration, so one of these exists in America, one of these also exists, of course, in China. They said this week they will soon release state stockpiles of metals, including copper, aluminium, zinc, and some others. So yeah. they're looking to basically intervene in that situation and offload. Uh, and so th I definitely think that that's a another factor within this. I don't, you know, obviously yeah. the ones that you said, I think that's the catalyst and the importance. But there's some other things here to really drive this move at the moment, at the minute. Yeah, and I think these these government stockpiles. I mean, that's what they're there for, right? You know, in a time of crisis, and at the moment we've got a price crisis for producers. Um, you know, surely this is the time to. I mean, I know you could say these governments stockpile for the absolute Armageddon scenario, like World War Three, you know, kind of thing. Okay, now I can't get access to any kind of raw materials from other countries. Fine. So, I, yeah, I mean, I, so I guess they've got to be a little bit careful. But, you know, it's, it's fine to offload a little bit of the stock, isn't it, just to help out in the short term on the basis that, you know, we think prices are going to drop naturally medium term. Yeah, and I, I think strategically, whenever they've done that, particularly in the case of the US, it gets used and then it gets refilled. So yeah. it's not too big an issue, I don't think. And given the, the tactics where they tend to be more interventionalist in the case of China, well, then this doesn't surprise me at all. But it definitely, obviously, in terms of the marketplace trading these metals is going to have a, a significant impact. Um. I think we should wrap it up there. I think we've covered quite a bit in this episode and hopefully um, gone some way to try and explain some terminology that perhaps um, if you're not a market participant, you've kind of always wondered like, you know, why are they getting so caught up about just very unassuming words? <laughs> so hopefully um, that brings it into a bit of life. Uh, and yeah, thanks, Piers, as ever. Cheers, Anne. Have a good weekend. Yeah, enjoy the football. Yeah, we'll do. Come on, England. <laughs> Come on, Gaza. Oh, no. He doesn't play anymore. <laughs> all right. Take care. All. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.